0: And thanks for listening. I just want to just want to reiterate how proud I am uh, of, of you all who are sitting in seats you're not accustomed to. Uh, thanks for listening a couple weeks ago and um, it's good you're meeting new people you're seeing the sanctuary in a whole new way so keep it up. Um, so last Thursday was Thanksgiving as you know. Friday was Black Friday Saturday yesterday was uh, small business Saturday and then tomorrow know you guys are looking forward to cyber Monday and then uh, Tuesday is giving Tuesday or as I like to call it the day I unsubscribe from a lot of email lists <laughs> and uh, then Wednesday is the last day to buy your tickets for Santa McCracken shameless plug Wednesday but what about today what is today you know we we love to uh, brand our days now, don't we? We love awareness days. It's like ev- almost every day of every month has some purpose, you know? And, and if you stay on top of these things, then you are in tune with what manner of performative uh, gesturing you need to do on each day of the month, right? Um, but what about today? Where does it leave us? Today, as uh, Julie said at the start of our service, is the first Sunday of Advent. So we have, Um, the church assigns meaning to this day Um, but what does that mean what does advent mean and for some of you, especially if you're new to church or you're new to city church, maybe you grew up in a tradition that didn't really make much of Advent. Well, we always celebrate Advent here, and the, uh, the front cover of the worship guide is a first indication of that, that we change the color to blue to represent the fact that we're in this season of Advent. It's the four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's a time where we prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ At Christmas now for the pastor it's always a tricky balance in Advent you know we we want to avoid being too like aggro Advent you know you can you can be a little aggressive with it Um, I've I've made this mistake years past I was talking to one of our worship leaders uh, several years ago and he was kind of planning out the worship set and he was talking about well I'm really excited to do some Christmas songs and I said it's Advent Rawls and uh, he, didn't, he didn't take that too well. You know, it, it's still okay to do Christmas songs and to have our hearts and our minds uh, led towards Christmas, even though this is a season of the year, the church year, that's a little bit different. It's this time of waiting. It's this time of longing. So we can be too aggressive with it, but I think the other danger for us as pastors is to, we, we also need to avoid a complete capitulation to the seasons of the world. Because uh, our society blows right past Advent, right? You you knew this as soon as uh, Halloween was over and it was November 1st and you walk into Lowe's and it's full-on Christmas in there. Or the people who who say that November 1st, that's when I'm gonna start watching Christmas movies. I can't abide with that, right? (laughs) We have to have some standards. Advent uh, matters for us. It has a role to play in our lives and in the, the life of the Christian church. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, what we're going to do this year at, at, uh, during Advent, at least for these messages over the next four Sundays, is we're going to focus on just two verses in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to read those verses in just a minute. But uh, the reason that we're focused here is that, you know, often we read long sections of Scripture uh, each Sunday, but there's value, too, in slowing down and taking just one sentence, a couple of verses, and and, uh, really understanding it, looking at it from different angles. And that's what we'll do over the next four weeks. And we have some uh, different things to help you enter into Advent, and especially these verses, Galatians 4 and 5. We have uh, memory verses. The kids will all be getting memory verse cards in children's worship, and we also have them for adults. They're out in the narthex, and you can grab them on your way out. We also have, each of the four weeks, we have temporary tattoos for the kids or for the the kids at heart um, who who want to use those as just a visual cue to help you um, memorize these verses. And not just memorize verses to have uh, rote memory, but to understand the meaning of Christmas, to understand why we celebrate Advent and why we look forward to the coming of Christ. So I hope you'll avail yourself of all of these opportunities that we have to, to prepare ourselves for Christmas. Not just with uh, uh, list making, not just with gift buying, not just with holiday parties to attend, but by entering into the heart and mind of God to understand what it means that Christ came to earth. Okay, so all of that as prelude. Let's read these verses from Galatians 4. They're printed in the worship guide, or if you have a Bible, uh, read from your Bible, because I am going to allude to a couple verses on either side of our passage today, and it might be helpful to have a Bible open in front of you. Here's God's word for us this Advent. It says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we ask that you would help to enlighten these words. This simple sentence, make it come alive. We might be able to recognize all the words, but it's hard to find meaning sometimes in the Bible. And so we ask that you would give that meaning to us. And we ask that you would help us to see Christ and to see him more clearly. We ask that you would do this for our good and for the glory of your name, amen. All right, so what I wanna do today is first I want to um, basically just teach and help you learn what the fullness of time means. And then I wanna talk about how we can long in the fullness of time and how we can live in the fullness of time. Uh, But to start off, I want to give a little more background on what this word Advent is, what this season of Advent is. Again, knowing that for some of you, this is the first time you've ever heard this language. So Advent literally means coming. It's the time when the church prepares for the coming of God in the form of Jesus. And if you're an Advent veteran, you know that even this idea of preparing for God's coming has a double meaning. It means, first of all, Jesus coming um, as a baby, coming in human form, which happened two thousand years ago. But it also means Jesus or God's coming again, when Jesus will return a second time to judge the world and to take all those of faith home with Him. And so it, it, we have to hold these two ideas of God's coming together. Now, if Advent is about coming, very quickly in those verses I read from Galatians, we can see how this is an Advent passage. Because it says, when the fullness of time had come. It's a passage that is waiting for God's coming. And then it says in the very next uh, phrase, God sent forth his Son. And we've just finished a sermon series at City Church all about being sent out. How we as the church are sent out and throughout that series we emphasize that we are sent because Jesus first was sent to us. We see a connection here in Galatians 4. God sent forth his son. Because God sent forth his son, so now he sends forth his church. But it happens when the fullness of time had come. Now, if you look at the verses a little bit before what we read this afternoon, you'll see this language of coming. It it occurs in a a couple other places at the end of chapter 3. It says in uh, verse 23, Now, before faith came. And then in verse 24, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. So, the fullness of time coming is connected to Christ coming and is also connected to faith in Christ coming. See, Paul has this, uh, this logic in mind as he writes to the Galatian Christians, and it all starts, it all derives from when the fullness of time had come, because that leads to faith. That leads to faith in jesus christ we know then that jesus comes when the fullness of time comes when or what is the fullness of time it sort of begs the question we're we're on tiptoe we're leaning forward we want to know when christ will come well what is the fullness of time quite simply it means this it means the right moment It means when everything is ready. It means the the proper time. Or another way to think about it would be that when everything is ripe, when the fullness of time has come. You guys know I love my fig tree, right? My fig tree in our back alley, I have to wait for the fullness of time to come to pick the figs. If I pick the figs too early, I know right away, one, they're a little bit too firm, right? The flesh of the fig isn't soft. And when I twist it off the stem, it uh, leaks out this milky sap. And that's a sign that the fullness of time hasn't quite come. But if I wait too long, well then the birds will get to the figs before I get to them. Or even worse, the fig eater beetle, the dreaded fig eater beetle, that devours the figs and leaves just this skeleton of a fig hanging on the branch right when the fullness of time has come is the moment when everything is ripe for the coming of christ this is language that paul uses elsewhere actually uh, if you were a very keen observer you may have picked up on this language in the assurance of pardon that julie read it's in ephesians 1 and there paul talks about god's plan for the fullness of time it's the same idea And what this means is that God's promise always had, he always had a plan in mind for when he was going to fulfill that promise. You know, sometimes we hear the fullness of time and we think, well, what that means is that everything was right historically or culturally or politically. And trust me, I went online and I read sermons that interpreted this text all about that and explained how it was just right geographically and historically and culturally. I don't think that's Paul's fundamental meaning here. When Paul says the fullness of time has come, he's not talking about historical time. He's talking about divine time. Everything is right. Everything is ripe for God's plan. Well, okay, that all seems somewhat obvious. What what difference does that really make? Well, the difference it makes is that in all that space, Between the fall of Genesis and the incarnation of the Gospels, God was was waiting for the right moment. It isn't accidental. It isn't arbitrary, the way that history is unfolding itself. It is wrapped up in the plan of God, the sovereign of all creation, the sustainer of everything. And when the fullness of time had come, When the stage was set christ came into the world for you and for me you know we have our christmas pageant i like that parade of cuteness that's what it is on saturday and uh, it's based on a storybook by uh, sally lloyd jones and it has a refrain in it and our kids on saturday will repeat this refrain again and again and they'll say they'll yell from the stage it's time it's time you see she captures this idea of the fullness of time in the storybook the song of the stars she's capturing this fundamental idea of what christmas is all about it's not happenstance it's not arbitrary but it's the outworking of god's plan of redemption this again is a a central idea when i was in seminary this idea was drilled into our heads pretty much every class would talk about it. And it has a fancy uh, theological seminarian uh, phrase to go with it. It's called the redemptive historical approach to the Bible. That means that how we read the Bible, everything is wrapped up and, and understood best by seeing it in the unfolding plan that God has to deliver his people. And the hinge of that plan the centerpiece, the climax of that plan is the coming of Jesus Christ. It is when God sent forth his son, that fact of history helps us understand everything else in this book. In fact, the only right way to read all the rest of this book is through the coming of Christ, through the story of Christmas. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. You know, sometimes we think about Christmas this way. We think that uh, Christmas, the story of Jesus uh, being born in a manger, it's like uh, throwing a stone into a pond and seeing ripples that cascade out everywhere and go to the, uh, the edge of the shore. But the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, is much more like an earthquake. It's almost like uh, uh, the, the, the coming down to earth of a whole new world in a new age, in a new time. It's so disruptive. This image of ripples on a pond don't do it justice. That's what this redemptive historical approach to the Bible is trying to get us to understand. That Jesus changes everything. For everyone and for all time you know, there's very little in our lives that can even uh, illustrate this. You know, maybe the closest we can get, for those of us who can remember, is 9-11, and the way that everything seemed to change after that moment, right? Certainly the way that we fly through the air has changed. Or maybe another uh, illustration would be something like COVID, and the experience that we've had over the last three years, and the, the ways we've caught ourselves and said, well, everything's going to be different now and yet covid doesn't really do it justice because for the most part we're back to normal aren't we see the fullness of time when it had come god sent forth his son and there was a new creation everything was different now that's paul's approach here in galatians 4 he wants these christians to understand that nothing will ever be the same All right, so that's uh, meant to help you learn a little bit about what it means when the fullness of time comes. Well, you know, the, the big knock against the redemptive historical approach to the Bible is that it's short on application because it makes everything about Jesus and less about us, less about what we do. But I think properly understanding a redemptive historical approach to the Bible actually increases our application. And I want to do that in two ways. Specifically with this phrase, when the fullness of time had come. What does that mean for us and for the way we live? I think it affects how we think about longing and how we think about living. Now, let me explain this longing piece a little bit. We need to learn the advent posture of longing. It's hard in our day and age. It's hard to long for anything when you have an iPhone in your pocket. And you can buy anything you want from Amazon with one click. It kind of mitigates against this idea of longing. How do we develop a posture of longing? Well, we learn from Paul. Because Paul was a, a Jewish scholar, he was a Jewish teacher, and he knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And the Old Testament cultivates a posture of longing, of looking ahead, of waiting. You see, the first half of the Bible, the first two-thirds of the Bible, are all about these signs that are pointing forward to when Messiah will come, when a deliverer, when a Savior will come, and when the world will be set right. Paul understood this. And that's why, when he writes in Galatians 4, the fullness of time has come and God sent forth his Son. He's saying everything that you've been longing for has arrived in Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the one. All those uh, stories in the Old Testament were like so many fingers pointing forward to the one who's now arrived because the time was ripe. And if you read through Paul, if you read his letters, you'll see That this idea of longing has seeped into his soul, it's affected him, and he still talks about groaning, about waiting, about standing up on your tiptoes and looking forward. Well, how can that be? Longing still matters for us, even in the fullness of time, because the fullness of time has this two-part fulfillment. Fulfillment. This is what I talked about earlier, the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. You see, it's one event split in two parts. First, where Jesus came as a man. He lived a perfect life. He died on a tree outside of Jerusalem to save you from your sin. He uh, rose up again from the dead. He has ascended into heaven. That's all the first part of Jesus' coming. And the second part is when he comes back in judgment and with grace for all who believe in him and he leads us home and we are longing for that day aren't we so in the same way that folks in the old testament were longing for the first appearance of christ now today we are longing and straining and waiting and holding on to the promise that christ will come again in advent cultivates that posture in us it helps us to long it's why we sing these songs right come thou long expected jesus it's why we cry out how long do we wait in vain jesus give us hope again it's why we sing together that the hopes and fears of all the years are met in christ tonight We are still longing because this climactic event of Jesus comes in two stages. The first coming and the second coming. And so theologians like Karl Barth and others after him say, what other time or season can or will the church ever have but Advent? Always waiting for the coming of Jesus. I want to apply this specifically for us here at City Church. What would it look like for us to develop a posture of longing? Even with our iPhones, even with Amazon, even with drive through right? Well, here's an idea for you. Over the next four weeks, what if you kept a longing journal? Every day or every other day, when you think of it, what if you wrote down the things that you were longing for? As a way to articulate, to announce, to be honest about the things that you're still longing for. The hopes, the dreams that you have, the things in this world that aren't right, that one day God will set right. Keep a longing journal. And then here's the other thing. This is hard to do during the run-up to Christmas, right? Leave some desires intentionally unmet. You know, uh, beginning around Thanksgiving, we always do Christmas lists in our family, and my kids through the years have um, always uh, wanted different things. And in maybe starting even halfway through the year, I'll start saying to them, well, Christmas is coming. Write it down on your list. And it's good for them and it's good for me and it's good for us to want things, to have desires and not meet them right away because it builds in us a longing when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth His Son. And when in God's divine plan the time is right again, no one knows the day or the hour, but He will send His Son back develop the posture of longing. It will help draw you closer to the heart of God. All right, so longing in the fullness of time, and the the second uh, practical application, specific application, is our living in the fullness of time. Right? Because we're in this gap right now, we're in this phase between Jesus' first coming and second coming. We want to cultivate longing, but we also want to cultivate true living, true life, full life. And this passage is drawing us towards that as well. What I mean by this is we need to cultivate the advent posture of living apart from the law and as God's children. And I'll explain what both of those things are, but we need to live apart from the law and as God's children. And that's Paul's message in the larger context here of Galatians. Throughout the book of Galatians, he's railing against people who are putting their identity, who are putting their standing, who are putting their justification in keeping the law. He says you're free from all that because of Christ, because the fullness of, God, the fullness of time has come and God has sent forth his son. And as opposed to living under the law, as slaves to the law, he says you are to live as children. You're to live as sons. We see this in um, just a a few verses after what I read. In verse 7 it says this, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Paul, the, the end of his argument here, right after the verses I read, is for you to know that you are not a slave to the law, but you are God's child. Live that way. Develop this Advent. Over the next four weeks, cultivate this posture of living as God's child. Wow, what does that mean? How do I do that? I have a couple ideas. Again, two specific applications. Here's the first. The first thing to do this Advent identify the laws that you are living by. What are the laws that you are living by? And here's the the diagnostic. Typically, the law that you are living by, you make other people live by that law too. It could be as trivial as uh, the, the, the right clothes, the right outfits, and you walk into a room and immediately you're sizing yourself up and you're sizing other people up based on the law of do they look right? And then it goes into behavior, all the behavioral things, the way they parent, the way they do their work, all these laws, usually unspoken, that leave us in bondage and create bondage for other people. I'm just saying start to identify them. That's step one. Start to identify those laws, those places where you are living enslaved. You know, some of them are even religious things, even spiritual things. Ways of relating to God that you uh, somehow got stuck in your head and said, if I don't do this, God doesn't smile on me. And then you carry that over and apply it to other people as well and make them feel guilty and ashamed. Identify the laws that you live by. And then second, the second specific application Because the fullness of of time has come, live as God's child. Live as a son. Live as a daughter. You know the reckless abandon that children have? They're they're, they're free from fear. They're not hung up on their identity. They walk into a room and they'll talk to anyone. It's that sort of freedom that you and I are meant to have towards God. That you would know that you're a, a child Begin to live as God's child, as though He is pleased with you, as though He is smiling upon you. We can do that, even while we're longing. We can live this way, because we know that the fullness of time has come, and God has sent forth His Son to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, it's all right there in verse five. Why did God send forth his son? Well, to take away the law and to help us know that we are his children. Whenever I I think about this idea, my mind goes back to a book I read many years ago. It's called the, uh, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Some of you may have read it. And the book itself doesn't matter that much other than it tells the story of an island, a channel island between England and France during World War II. And it was Nazi-occupied, this island. And uh, the whole lives of the community were, was controlled by the Nazis. But there were a few people who had uh, contraband radios where they could hear the news of what was going on. And it tells the story of how after the Allied victory, over the Germans, that uh, a few people on the island heard this on the radio. And uh, of course, no one else knew yet. Their lives hadn't functionally changed. The Nazis were still in control, but they knew that they were doomed. They knew that the victory had been won. You see, that's how it is for us as Christians we know that the victory has been won by christ that the fullness of time has come and yet we live with longing still living in occupied territory still waiting for the fullness of the victory still being still waiting to have the the shackles of the law completely thrown off so that we can live as children and it says in that book the hardest thing i ever did was walk around on June 7th, not grinning, not smiling, not doing anything to let those Germans know that I knew their end was coming. Isn't that brilliant? Friends, that's how we, who hope in Christ, can live our lives. With this grinning abandoned, Because we know that the end is coming. We have uh, one other way that we're going to try to press the truth of Galatians 4 and uh, verses 4 and 5 into our hearts, our collective minds this season is through a song that Adam has written that is based on these verses and during communion uh, he's going to introduce that song and then invite you to sing that song as well and the words are printed in the worship guide and they're really just words that come straight from scripture and our hope is that by learning this song together it will internalize the message of galatians 4 and 5 but when the fullness of time had come god sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. What a gift it would be for us as a church and you together with your family to memorize that verse because it tells the heart of the Christmas story, all that Christ has done for us. And it gives us hope to live with longing and to live free from the law as God's sons and daughters. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And particularly at this time of year, teach us to wait again for his coming, to look back in thanksgiving for his first coming, and to hope in great expectation for his sure and certain second coming. To take us home with you and to set all things right. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.